0: All right, Amos chapter 1, here we go. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. And thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will send fire into the house of Hazael. uh, Excuse me, I read that already. I will also break uh, the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Aven, and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. The people of Syria shall go captive to Sur, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not turn away its punishment. Because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. Thus says the Lord For three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually, he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Timon, which shall devour the palaces of Basrah. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. But I will a fire, kindle a fire fire, in the wall of Rabbah that shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and the tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. So what we talked about last week (coughs) was this theme of the plumb line that God uses later on in the book. The Lord said there, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) the Lord said that he had dropped his plumb line in the midst of his people so that they could evaluate and align their hearts and their activity to his standard. For us, this whole book is about discovering if we as people of God are building plumb, if we're building vertically toward the Lord or for falling into the same mistakes that the Israelites did in this time. Uh, Despite their prosperity, and despite their physical security, God's people had moved away from him and uh, into sin. And what we're trying to do is look at both the messenger, Amos, and the message that he carried to see how God uses his servants and how he delivers his message through us. And on top of that, we want to make sure that we're not neglecting that message ourselves we aren't just deliverers of the message we are also recipients of this message as well and so in the first couple of verses we get to look at the messenger Amos we're told in verse 1 was a sheep breeder from Tekoa which was in the southern kingdom of Judah we find out later in chapter 7 that he also tended fig trees or your translation might say sycamore trees when we get there uh, he was not a prophet he was not the son of a prophet he didn't go to prophet school he didn't go to missionary school he was just a regular guy. Now some scholars look at the data we're given in the book and they guess in their interpretation or their idea is that he was a wealthy man, a wealthy landowner, a business mogul more than a laborer uh, based on the kind of language that he used and, and uh, his seeming familiarity with the northern kingdom and those sorts of things other good scholars who i would tend to agree with look at the same data that we have that he gives us and conclude the exact opposite that he wasn't a wealthy business mogul he was a shepherd who who just worked the land he was a a regular guy a man who worked day in and day out and lived small compared to the people around him there's really not a definitive answer because he doesn't say i was poor and the lord told me to do this or i was rich and the lord told me to do this And that's good. It's good that it's not definitive because Amos represents all of us, you know, on any level of the spectrum as people living our lives and doing different types of work and having different, you know, levels of influence. Amos was was representing us. He was a man living the life that God had placed him in. And when he received the word of the Lord, he was called out to minister to the people around him. He was just a regular guy like we are, living a regular life. And we can't ever forget that God does not separate His people into one group who does ministry and then the other group that just exists. That's not how God has established His body on the earth. We're all members of His body. He calls all of us of great means and small means to be His messengers on the earth, people who work the plow and, and people who collect the taxes, people who serve and people who own, Slaves and doctors and farmers and kings, all of of us are called by God to do his work. And you and I are included in that. Now the Lord called Amos to speak and to prophesy to backslidden Israel and Judah during the reigns of two particular kings, Uzziah and Jeroboam. Now each of these guys had their own interesting characteristics and did some interesting things. uh, And they each speak to us devotionally of, of potential pitfalls that God's people can fall into. Uzziah, there in Judah, he started strong and he started early. He was installed as king when he was 16 years old. And at first he honored the Lord and he did what was right. He walked worthy. He's one of the good kings of Judah. At least he was at first. Listen to this from 2 Chronicles 26. It's in verse 5. It says, Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of the Lord. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. But then you keep reading his story and you get down to verse 16 and you read this. But when Uzziah was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so he started off very strong. He followed the Lord. He walked with the Lord. But then when he became physically strong and physically prosperous, uh, he fell into sin and he uh, lifted up his heart to his destruction chronicle says. One of the great issues and sins that God was revealing through Amos <clears throat> as we'll see was the fact that in their luxury and in their opulence, God's people had stopped actually paying attention to what God says in His Word. You know, they had His Word, but they really stopped paying attention to what it says. They still did religious things. They still went to the temple. They still offered their sacrifices. They still sang their songs. God's going to talk to them about that. Uh, but they had remade God into their own image. They made themselves a convenient, surface-level religion. Uh, They had God's Word, but they didn't follow His Word. That's the deal. And that's what we see in the example of Uzziah himself when you look at what he did. You know, he loved the Lord, and then he became proud in his own heart, and he decided, well, I'm going to go in and burn incense. That's not my place. I'm commanded not to do that, but I'm going to do that because, after all, I'm pretty awesome. I'm Uzziah. I can do whatever I want. And After all, incense is incense, and the Lord should just be thankful that I'm coming... Into his temple at all and the people altogether had become full of pride and full of self-assurance now in the northern kingdom a very different kind of king was ruling it was Jeroboam II. Uh, he was altogether wicked he didn't start off well he didn't end well now what he did do well was conquest he regained much of the territory that Israel had lost because of the affliction that the israelites in the north had suffered god says in second kings you can read all about this in about second kings 14 but because the people were suffering god allowed jeroboam victory in battle victory and conquest kind of like what we see in this situations with the judges where the lord sees his people being afflicted and oppressed and they cry out and he says okay i'm going to grant you victory and and deliver you he allowed jeroboam success in battle (coughs) And he regained territory and wealth and earthly power for the northern kingdom. Uh, But his kingdom was characterized by sin and paganism and idolatry and violence. And so um, two very different kings, but two very backslidden people. So starting here in verse 1 and moving through the rest of the book, we're going to see that God was speaking not just to these kings, but to the individuals in the children of Israel he was speaking to the believers who believed in the Lord and he was speaking to the nation as a whole and here's this is how he spoke look at verse 2 it says the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem Uh, God was speaking loud and clear he was roaring like a lion Amos said that's what he loves to do throughout the scriptures we find that our God is not a God who is far away but he is near to us Uh, And he speaks loudly. He roars like a lion. In this verse, it says that he roared from Jerusalem, from Zion. Now, at that time, of course, Jerusalem was the earthly habitation of God's glory. And that's where he dwelt on the earth. Of course, God is and was omnipotent and and omnipresent. uh, But he himself said, hey, Zion, Jerusalem is going to be my base of operations during the Old Testament. I'm going to come and dwell there in the temple among my people in a special way. Now, luckily for us, God is not constrained to Jerusalem or to a single temple anymore. In fact, when Jesus Christ was crucified, God the Father put an end to that system and determined to make our hearts his dwelling place. And so we are his temple now. We are his body. We are his base of operations. And it begs the question, is God roaring from my life Today, Because our God likes to speak loud and clear. and He likes to speak loud and clear from his habitation on the earth. And so is, is God roaring from my life today? Do my lips and my actions deliver the message of the gospel? Or do I find myself trying to quiet down that testimony? Is God roaring like a lion through my life? Or do I treat him and his message like I treat my 19-month-old son when we go to a restaurant somewhere? It's not great to bring a toddler to a restaurant because the whole time you... You know, you're spending all your time trying to keep him quiet so that the people around you aren't disturbed. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we start treating God like that in our own lives. As the Lord tries to do things through us, or as the Lord, you know, prompts us to do things, we're like, man, just just stay quiet, take your pacifier, take my keys and shake them around. Just don't bother any of the people that are around me. I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody to be bothered by this. You read this text... And you see that God's word stops people where they're at. You know, it says, man, God is going to roar from Zion, the mountains are going to wither, and the, the pastures are going to mourn." you know. And, and, and the idea there is that, you know, when properly delivered, the message of God, the gospel, causes people to stop and consider and choose something. And, and that's what he wants to happen. And so may we never be messengers whose testimony is ineffective, whose testimony is so marginalized in our own lives that no one stops to consider what they're hearing from us. Uh, you know, may we be messengers who God Almighty can roar through with his message of salvation because that's what he wants to do. He wants to proclaim himself through our lives. We are his habitation. We are his base of operations now and his desire is to roar like a lion, uh, not stay dormant. But now we begin to see the message outright. We've seen the kind of messenger that God is looking for. we gotten some context and know a little bit about What's coming? It's a minor prophet after all, so it's, you know, talking about sin and judgment and coming wrath and all of that. But there in verse 3 through 15, we get the actual message starting to be delivered of Amos. And it's delivered to five different nations, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Eden, Edom, excuse me, and Ammon. Next week, we'll see three more added in, and we'll get to those. But each time here, the same formula is given, you know, textually, you know. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions and for four. Thus says the Lord, this is what's going to happen. Fire's going to come. you know. And so the same formula is given. The Lord says, hey, you foreign nation, you've transgressed, and I've been gracious. I've been gracious over and over again. Uh, but I've been long-suffering, but now I will not withhold my judgment any longer for your sins. And those things that you think are going to protect you are not going to protect you when I come to town. And uh, in these five arraignments, we see that each of the nations committed You know, terrible atrocities against the children of Israel. Now, there are two things to remember here when we're reading through a text like this. First, it's important to know that part of the reason that God is delivering this message to these other nations is to build a case uh, against his own people. Because the real recipients of this message are the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And so it's not like a Jonah situation where God comes to Amos and says, hey, go to Nineveh and talk to the Ninevites. He, he sends Amos to his own people. He says, hey, go talk to the Israelites. Go talk to the Judeans. And when you go, talk to them first here about this, what these other nations have done, you know, how they have sinned and how they're worthy of judgment. And, and he's doing that because we're going to see next week that God is building a case against his own people. So here he says, this is what Ammon did, this is what Edom did, this is what Gaza did. And then, in order to reveal to his own people how they too were sinning in many of the same ways. Uh, But the second thing to remember when reading a text like this is that God calls these nations out on sin because it concerns him. God is concerned with Israel's enemies as much as he is concerned with Israel. He's concerned with your enemies as much as he's concerned with you. He's concerned with individuals as much as he is with nations. He's concerned with your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and those people that are adversarial against you. He's concerned with all of those people as much as He's concerned with you. And He's a God who's concerned with your life day by day. He he looks into what's going on with us and He shows us that He cares about those things. Now in our context, God is talking about, you know, that He has to bring a message of judgment upon their sin. And we understand that. But stepping back, when you look at the heart of God here, as God looks into the doings of these nations and the doings of these people, and you see that his heart is quite concerned with what happens in your life today. God cares about what happens in your life today and the interactions that you have today because he's not far away from us. He's not a clockmaker God that set us in motion and then walked away. He's a God that's nearby, he's close to us. Now, as we read these verses, you know, honestly, they're pretty repetitive and they talk about specific atrocities. And at least for me, it's easy to, get caught up or distracted by, you know, the the violence, kind of get distracted by the, you know, the atrocity of it all. In the sense that it's easy to look at the language and think, yeah, these other nations, they butchered the people of God, and that's why God was going to judge them. And, And that's true. I mean, that was one level of what God was talking about, the actual violence that they committed against the Israelites. But notice some of what else God was talking about. These are some statements from our text. Because they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood because they cast off all pity, because their anger tore perpetually, because they were doing violence that they might enlarge their territory. And so God is talking to these nations and he's going to talk to his own people as well about more than just violence and bloodshed, even though those are terrible things. He's also talking to them about greed and their anger and their lack of compassion or their lack of pity. He's going to talk to them about ill-gotten wealth and breaking of brotherhood. And there's really a lot that the Lord is addressing here because... Our God evaluates everything we do. He doesn't evaluate just one or two things that we do. I mean, the Lord is all-encompassing. He evaluates everything we do uh, in our lives. And and as he looked at these behaviors and these activities, he said, listen, these things that you're doing are sin. This is sin. This greed is sin. This this discompassion is sin. You know, this anger is sin, and sin requires judgment. That's the message that we're getting here. And here's where it comes home to us. God's attitude concerning these sins has not changed. His attitude towards the Edomites was one way and his attitude towards that sin in my life is the same. It's still a sin. Just because the Ammonites are gone or just because I'm not a pagan Canaanite idolater doesn't mean that I get a pass to, to give in to greed or to give in to pride or discompassion or anger. And that's what the Israelites were doing and that's what the Lord is going to talk to them about. And what God was doing in this book is talking about these foreign sins because God's people would have totally agreed with him about their need for judgment. Yeah, look what the Edomites did. Look what the Gaza folks did. Look what the Ammonites did. And yeah, they deserve judgment. I agree with you, God. And then starting next week, he's going to turn the focus back on them and says, okay, what about you? What about your greed? What about your discompassion? What about the way you're interacting with people around you and the poor people around you? How are you living your life? Are you building upward towards eternity or are you building outward towards worldliness? That's the deal. That's what Amos is about. And God was going to bring correction to his own people. And to bring this message, God sent a shepherd. And he sent a shepherd because he is a shepherd. You know, when you look at the shepherds of Israel, when you think about Moses, how he tended sheep, and David, the great shepherd of Israel, and all these other examples, you know, God uses shepherds on purpose because he is a shepherd. His desire is to spend his days with the sheep. When you start thinking about the comparisons between what a shepherd does and the heart of God, it's a really remarkable thing. A shepherd spends his days with the sheep. That's what he does. He he's just hangs out with the sheep. He provides them green grass to eat and protects them from attack. He shears them as they bear fruit, as it were, season by season, and, and then uses that wool to, um, to make beautiful things. But God's people had become something other than sheep. They had become greedy, they'd become self-reliant, they'd become discompassionate to the poor among them, they'd become angry, and the way they interacted with people was sinful and unjust, just like the Canaanite nations around them. That's the deal. And one of the overarching messages of Amos is that the way we interact with people around us matters to God, matters very much to God. Uh, James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Or how about Micah 6, 8? Beautiful verse, but really important. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God is looking for. And God's people had moved away from that. And you know, what's unfortunate is that those sorts of things, doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly, Those aren't things that Christians always do. Those aren't things that Christians are always known for, especially when we're in a time and a place of physical security and affluence and comfort. Now, when people outside of God's family don't walk justly and don't walk humbly, you know, we're incensed. Look look at that corruption and look at that greed and look at that anger. Uh, and, And rightly so, because God has given value to human beings and we should treat each other accordingly. But as was the case in Amos, God's people, all of us, need to make sure that we have not become trapped by these same sins as well. Because God's attitude hasn't changed, and we find ourselves today in a situation very similar to that of the Israelites of this time, a a place in a time of security and affluence and comfort. The sins we're talking about may not bear fruit as violently as they did in the case of the Ammonites or the Edomites. We're not going around killing women with children to enlarge our territory Uh, But the sins that God is talking about, the greed and the anger and the discompassion, uh, they still have to be dealt with because they will still bring destruction into our lives. And God is a God who corrects those whom he loves, his people who he desires to shepherd. God's message has been given to us. We have to receive it and then carry it and allow the Lord to roar through our lives today.